For more information about our teaching and preaching ministry, you can find us online at cornerstoneorlando.org. The following sermon has been brought to you by Cornerstone Orlando, making disciples for the glory of God. The title of our sermon this morning is Love That Gives, Love That Gives. This is part two, Romans chapter 12, uh, in particular, verse 13. So in this uh, 12th chapter now of Paul's epistle to the church at Rome, the apostle Paul has been instructing the church on the subject of a sincere love. He's been teaching us what a genuine love looks like. A sincere love is an unfeigned love. It's a genuine love. It's a love that is without hypocrisy. It is free from the stain, free from the stench of hypocrisy. And as we've learned, this kind of love is not native to our dealings with one another. It doesn't come naturally to us. And so we need instruction. We need help from the Lord. We need help from God's spirit. In the language of verse 11, We need diligence in this. This is hard work. The Christian life is not a life of passive ease. The Christian life is a life of intense personal engagement. We need diligence. We need fervency of spirit. Verse 11, our love for one another is in service to the Lord Christ. We need to serve one another as we are serving him. He has loved us with a matchless love and has given himself for us. We ought also ourselves then to lay down our lives for one another. John said, by this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. We also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Now, with that responsibility, the responsibility to love, the responsibility to love without hypocrisy, with that responsibility set before us, if our love is going to be free from the stain of hypocrisy, then our love must bear the character. It must bear the quality of that love which the Lord Jesus Christ himself has demonstrated toward us. In other words, it's going to be a love then, verse nine, that is governed by moral principles. It's regulated by the word of God, so to speak. It's a love, a sincere love that abhors what is evil and it clings to what is good. It's going to be a love that is marked by a familial warmth, a mutual delight In the words of verse 10, it's going to be kindly affectionate. It's going to be a brotherly love, a love that rushes ahead to give honor or preference to one another. It's a love that esteems one another more highly than yourself. In the words of verse 11, it will be a fervent love, an ardent love, a Christ-centric love. It will be a love that bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. In verse 12, it continues steadfastly in dependence upon God in prayer. It's not something that we can do in and of ourselves. We need help. We need help to love one another in this way. We need it, don't we? Verse 13, it's going to be a love that gives, distributing to the needs of the saints and given to hospitality. As we've learned to this point, working slowly through this text, Verse 13 has to do with sincere love's self-denying use of material resources. Now, that's specifically what Paul has in mind with respect to verse 13. And it's a principle here in verse 13 that's associated with sincere love that we see taught in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. This is a love that is not merely enjoined here by Paul in Romans chapter 12, 13. It is taught throughout the Bible. This is the way that Christians are to love. A sincere love is a love that gives, right? In the first clause, in verse 13, 
Paul exhorts us to a sacrificial love that provides for the needs of the saints. And in the second clause in verse 13, Paul exhorts us to a sacrificial love that provides for the needs of strangers, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. As we'll see, that's not loving those who are strange, although we should love those even who are strange. (laughs) Some are more lovable than others, but it's a love for strangers. We're gonna talk about what that means as we work through the text. The apostle John, once again, in application of this principle, whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? It's a rhetorical question. It does not. If he shuts up his heart from his brother in need, the love of God, John says, does not abide in him. In other words, if you say you love God, if you say you love God, and yet you fail to show genuine compassion for a brother in need, then you are a hypocrite. John says, verse 10, my little children, let us not love in word or in tongue. Let us love in deed and in truth. And by this, we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. Let love be without hypocrisy. Now, with this first clause in verse 13, Paul's concern, as we've seen, is Philadelphia, right? A compound word referring to brotherly love. That's where we get the word Philadelphia from, right? Philadelphia, it's a brotherly love. And then in verse 13, he uses a common word there for Christian fellowship to exhort us in applying Philadelphia, exhorts us to share in the burden of a brother in his need. We are to enter into his burden. Macedonians in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 begged Paul with much urgency that he would receive their gift as their fellowship in ministering to their brothers and sisters in need in the church at Jerusalem, in their fellowship of ministering to the saints. And that's the idea, right? Their need becomes our need. Their need becomes your need. Their hardship becomes your hardship. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 26, if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. We are to enter into, we are to have fellowship in one another's need. A love that is free from the stain of hypocrisy is a love that gives. In the word there, words there from Romans chapter 12, verse 13, it's a love that shares or fellowships with them in their need, distributing to the needs of the saints. Now with the second clause then in verse 13, Paul now moves beyond Philadelphia and moves to Philoxenia, a love for strangers. You may have heard the word xenophobia, right? A fear of strangers. Philoxenia or xenia involves demonstrating then a love for strangers, often translated in the New Testament as hospitality. You'll see that word translated hospitality. Our word for hospitality is slightly broader in our understanding of that word. Anytime you set a table, right? You're showing hospitality, have people over, have your cousins over, your uncle over, right? Even that one you don't like very much, you're showing hospitality, right? We tend to think of hospitality in that way. The definition of hospitality, as it's taught to us in the New Testament, is a little more specific than that and specifically refers to a love for strangers, a philoxenia. With the first clause in verse 13, as with that clause, The second clause now, dealing with a love for strangers, has to do with sincere love's sacrificial and self-denying use of material resources for the benefit of someone you don't know, for the benefit of a stranger. There's a great example of this, and the use of these 
two terms, both of these terms in Hebrews 13. I want you to turn there with me. Hebrews 13. The first clause of Romans chapter 12, verse 13, dealing with love's sacrificial, self-denying use of material benefit, ben, uh, resources for the benefit of your brothers and sisters in your church, those that you do know. The second clause has to do with sincere love's sacrificial, self-denying use of material resources for the benefit of someone you don't know, for the benefit of a stranger. Hebrews chapter 13. This letter is written to persecuted and dispersed Christians Christians who were so sorely persecuted and dispersed that many of them lost everything for the sake of the gospel. They've lost everything for the sake of the gospel. Uh, they were even, even commended as those who had joyfully accepted the plundering of their own goods for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And Paul now is instructing them with respect to giving, even though they've lost everything. Verse one, let brotherly love continue. Brotherly love there, again, Philadelphia. They're to let brotherly love continue. And verse two, do not forget to Philoxenia, entertain strangers. Those two concepts, those two words. For by doing so, some have unwillingly entertained angels. That may be a text that you've read before and you've been interested to know what that's talking about. Uh, many believe that they're, um, that idea of entertaining angels uh, is a reference to Genesis 18 when the angels came and visited Abraham. Uh, but there, I think Abraham wittingly entertained angels, one of them, the angel of the Lord, and the other two on their way to Sodom to destroy Sodom and destroying Sodom in part, according to Ezekiel 16, for not taking care of the poor and needy, among other things, including sodomy. So uh, here, do not, forget to, do not forget to entertain strangers. That word entertain strangers is a love for strangers. Philoxenia, do not forget to show hospitality for, because by doing that, some have unwittingly entertained angels. I think uh, maybe a better understanding of that text is angels is a reference to messengers. And in entertaining strangers, some have entertained the messengers of God, those who have brought the gospel of peace. Um, I've thought about that uh, in particular at times when we've had a pastor in our own home or as a pastor, I've stayed in someone else's home. We're entertaining or fellowshipping with, or showing hospitality to the very messengers of God, those whom he has sent. So it's another way of understanding that. That's a sermon in and of its own. We'll have to deal with that another time. For now, however, <laughs> focus in on what uh, the author is saying with respect to hospitality. Let brotherly love continue. Do not forget to entertain strangers. Verse three, remember the prisoners as if chained with them. Now, that's the concept that Paul is charging us with in Romans chapter 12 as if chained with them, as if entering into their burden, as if fellowshipping with them in their need. Their burden becomes your burden. Those who are mistreated, verse three, since you yourselves are in the body also. You see how Paul um, applies that principle. Remember the prisoners as though you were chained with them, as though you were in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you yourself are a member of the body also. We're all in the body of Christ. We are to love one another as Christ has loved us. Marriage is honorable among all, verse four, the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Verse five, literally, let your manner of life reflect no love for silver. Literally, no love for silver. Love your brothers, Show love, demonstrate love for strangers, 
Love others in their trials, enter into their burdens, and do not love your money. Do not cling too tightly to your money. Do not love your money. Verse five, be content with such things as you have. Wise, faithful, loving, self-denying, sacrificial use of your material resources is an ongoing expression of your faith and trust in the Lord who provides all that you have and all that you need. We're to trust him. Be content with what you have. Be content with what the Lord has given you. For, verse five, he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So that, verse six, we may respond Respond in faith and boldly say, with faith, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? This is an expression of our faith. Love, a love that gives, Romans chapter 12, verse 13, has to do with loves, a sincere loves, self-denying, sacrificial stewardship of the resources that God has given to us. We cannot cling to those things so tightly that we shut our heart to our brother who is in need, that we shut our heart to a stranger who is in need, someone that we don't know. Romans chapter 12, verse 13, a love that is without hypocrisy, a love that is free from the stench of hypocrisy is a love that is faithful in distributing to the needs of the saints and given to hospitality, both a love for your brothers and a love for strangers. Now at this point, it would be helpful for us to remember this definition that we've attempted of what a sincere love is. And we want to apply this definition, a definition that we've mentioned now several times. We want to apply this definition to a sincere love for strangers. In attempting to describe a love that is free from the stain of hypocrisy, we've said that a sincere love is from the heart. It's not merely ritualistic action. A sincere love is from the heart focused upon another person with affectionate warmth and delight. So it's not a cold, heartless love. It's focused upon them with affectionate warmth and delight such that you think, speak, and act with enduring commitment and self-sacrificing devotion to their biblical and spiritual good. It's a love for another person, focused upon another person with warmth, with affection, with delight, such that you think, speak, and act with enduring commitment, undivided devotion, devotion, self-sacrificing devotion to their spiritual good. So this love for strangers then, that Paul enjoins in Romans chapter 12, verse 13, this love for the alien, for the foreigner, will involve not only your mind, it's going to involve your heart. And that love is cultivated in our heart as a fruit of the spirit. And it must be cultivated within our hearts. It will not only involve your mind, it's going to involve your heart. It's not only going to involve your heart, it's going to involve your conduct. And it's going to involve, in the concern of Paul here from Romans chapter 12, it's going to involve material resources, okay? Now, Paul further exhorts us, Romans chapter 12, verse 13, that we are to be given to this. He says, given to hospitality. Now, given, when we hear that word, it sounds a bit passive to us, right? We're given to it. The Greek word refers to a pursuit. It means to pursue it. It conveys a sense of eagerness, fervency. Romans 12, 11, not lagging in diligence, but fervent in spirit because we serve the Lord Christ. We are to be involved in an active, ongoing pursuit of demonstrating love for people we don't know. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1, Paul tells the church at Corinth to pursue love. Same word, pursue love. Philippians chapter 3, Paul says, I press toward the mark. Same word, 
Same concept. We are to pursue this love for strangers. Now, although hospitality, philoxenia, or love for strangers may be demonstrated toward unbelievers that we don't know, although it may be displayed or demonstrated toward anyone that we don't know, the New Testament most frequently primarily speaks of hospitality in terms of love for believers that we don't know. Wherever you find this word used, it's often used for members of the body, fellow members of the body. That was Paul's concern. That was the concern of Hebrews 13. Those members of the body that we don't know. And you see a good example of this uh, in John, in 3 John. Turn to 3 John with me. 3 John comes immediately after 1 and 2 John. Uh, And the word has specific reference, although it may be applied to, demonstrated toward strangers that are unbelievers, those that we don't know that are unbelievers, more particularly, this word generally is applied to those whom we don't know that are in the body of Christ. A Christian brother or a Christian sister, not a member of this church who is passing through, right? You give them a place to stay. You offer them a warm meal. It's a good example of this kind of hospitality, this kind of love for strangers. In 3 John, the apostle John is writing to a man named Gaius. And Gaius was a very common name at the time. There are several brothers by that name mentioned in the New Testament. So we don't know particularly who Gaius is, but we do know that he was a beloved friend of the apostle John and Gaius was faithfully serving in his church. Been those who have, have surmised that Gaius may have been an elder serving in his church. And John uh, addresses him as a fellow minister in the cause of the gospel. In any regard, he addresses Gaius then in verse two and calls him beloved. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. For I rejoiced greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in the truth. So John commends Gaius. Now imagine the scene with me. John had apparently encountered several brothers that came from the church where Gaius served. And they talked about Gaius behind his back. (laughs) It wasn't um, malicious gossip or slander. They were talking about Gaius and commending Gaius to the apostle John. It's a way that we knit one another, the way the Lord knits us together, right? When, you're, uh, when you meet with a brother, it's like, oh man, I had lunch with a good brother, had a good conversation. This um, brother's telling me about his church, right? That's a way of knitting us together. It's, um, it's a precious thing. These brothers came from the church where Gaius serves. They talk to John about Gaius and they commend Gaius to the apostle John. And it has the effect of knitting John's heart and Gaius's heart together even more. John had apparently had encountered these brothers. They testify in verse three of the truth that is in Gaius, his biblical integrity, so to speak, or Gaius's biblical fidelity. Not only how Gaius talks the talk, but how Gaius walks the walk, right? They commend him to the apostle John. Verse four, John responds, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. The report further knits the heart of John to his brother and and John rejoices in what he hears. And what is it about Gaius that was the cause of such a commendation? Verse five, beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers. There's the concept, right? Distributing to the needs of the saints, brethren, and a love for strangers, given to hospitality. Verse six, who have borne witness of your love before the church. 
So brothers and sisters had visited the church where Gaius was serving. And although Gaius didn't know them, he received them. He welcomed them with sincere love. He welcomed them in a manner that adorned the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So much so that when these brothers came to John, they were talking about him behind his back. Right? Gaius was hospitable. And Gaius was hospitable in a way that honors the Lord, in a way that adorns the gospel. Paul was, or Gaius was hospitable in the way that Paul enjoins us in Romans chapter 12, verse 13. Verse six, if you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, that's the issue, right? Giving them what they need, caring for them in their travels. John tells Gaius, you will do well because they went forth for his name's sake. They were his angelos, you might say. They were his messengers. They went forth for his name's sake, taking nothing from the Gentiles, taking nothing from unbelievers. What they were doing is preaching the gospel. Many at that time were itinerant preachers. They went around preaching the gospel. They were preaching the gospel to Gentiles and they didn't want to burden those they preached the gospel to. They were reliant upon the hospitality of the church to provide for their needs. They were reliant, relying on the Lord by relying on the church, strangers to supply their needs. In verse eight, John then gives us a principle that we can attach to Paul's instruction in Romans chapter 12. It's a principle that we can apply from the example of Gaius, verse eight. We therefore ought to receive such. We ought to receive these strangers, these brothers and sisters that we don't know. We should receive them with hospitality so that we may become fellow workers for the truth. When you welcome strangers, when you show hospitality that way, you become a worker with them for the sake of the truth, for the sake of the gospel. We should follow the example of Gaius. This hospitality, this love for strangers is one means among many whereby we labor together in the cause of the kingdom. We labor together in the cause of the gospel. Romans chapter 12, verse 13, we must pursue opportunities to demonstrate a sincere love for those we do not know. We must look for ways in which we can care for their needs while they are among us. And that love that is without hypocrisy, that love which is a fruit of the spirit is a love that is given to hospitality. We are to share fellowship with them in their needs. We're to share fellowship in the burdens of others in the body, even those we do not know, we're to share their burden with them. There's so many examples of this, right? So many examples of this in scripture, but we see examples of this in our Christian lives, right? You remember when James Coates was arrested, right? James Coates was arrested for continuing worship services during COVID. We don't know James personally, but we, didn't we? We felt a certain fellowship with him in that burden. And one of the reasons we felt a fellowship with him in that burden is because we were doing the same thing here, right? If one member suffers, all the members suffer with it, even someone we don't know. We entered into that burden, as it were, thinking about James, praying for James, praying for the church there, we experienced a sense of solidarity with him in the cause of the gospel. That's what Paul is referring to in giving this kind of hospitality to strangers. That's what Gaius was commended for, working together with them in the cause of the gospel. We are down here doing the same thing, fighting the same fight. We've got a sword in one hand, a trial in the other. We're a thousand miles away, 80 degrees warmer, right? But we're in the same work on different points in the wall, fighting the same enemy, doing the same work. We, have, we share, we enter into that 
work together when we show that kind of hospitality towards strangers. When my brothers in Guatemala City, when our brother in Dahabon, when those brothers down there took a cut in support because they took a stand for righteousness, we fellowship with them in their burden, don't we? They fellowship in ours. There's a tremendous example of this in Acts chapter 12. In Acts chapter 12, the wicked king Herod, that fox, kills James with the sword and he has every intention of doing the same thing to Peter. So he arrests Peter. He locks Peter up in prison, puts four squads of soldiers around him to guard him and he plans to kill Peter after Passover. While Peter is alone in that cell, there's a sense in which Peter is not alone in that cell. (laughs) We know that the Lord is with him. But you've got saints praying around the clock in Mary's house, praying for Peter. They're entering into that burden with Peter as though sharing that burden with him, praying around the clock for, for Peter. They were, in a sense, imprisoned with him. There's a sense of solidarity with Peter in his chains. There was a sense of solidarity that many had with Paul in his chains. If one member suffers, then all the members suffer together with it. Ultimately, that solidarity is with the Lord himself, and we all share in that solidarity with him. If you're in union with Jesus Christ, then you share in that work with him. And remember the end of that story where uh, Peter, the, the Lord miraculously frees Peter. Peter heads straight for Mary's house, knocks on the, on the gate, right? Rhoda comes to the gate. She's so excited that she hears Peter's voice. She doesn't even open the door. She's so excited she runs straight back into the house. Peter's left outside, tells the people in the house that Peter's like, the Lord has answered their prayer. The Lord has answered their prayer and they don't, they don't want to believe it. <laughs> Peter can't be standing outside the gate. Peter's outside the gate waiting to be let in. The Lord knits us together. Knits us together. Uh, whether we know one another in the body or whether we do not. And many of you had experiences where you've interacted with a brother or sister you do not know. And it's a, you're, there's a kindred spirit. And that's because we share one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one spirit between us. Uh, we, have, uh, we already are in communion with one another in that way. We need to show a love for those, even those whom we, we don't know. Back to Hebrews 13. Let brotherly love continue. Don't forget to entertain strangers. You may be entertaining angels. Angelos, messengers, remember the prisoners as if chained with them, for you are also in the body. It's this kind of love that Paul is calling us to in Romans chapter 12. We are to fellowship with one another in our need. And Peter adds to that, 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 9, we're to do it without complaining. Right? Be hospitable to one another without grumbling, without grumbling. This is not court-ordered love. You see, this is a sincere love, a love that is free from the stain of hypocrisy. We're to do it without complaining. Therefore, as Paul would say, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all men, especially those who are of the household of faith. So although this kind of love might be demonstrated toward anyone that we don't know, in particular, the Bible has in mind, Paul has in mind here, those from the body that we don't know. Now think with me, think with me. This is the kind of love, brothers and sisters, This is the kind of love with which you have been loved. The kind of love that we're being asked to demonstrate toward those whom we don't know, toward strangers, is the love with which you, yourself, have been loved. Ephesians chapter two. 
You are without Christ. Aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. That means you are a stranger. Strangers from the covenants of the promise. Having no hope and without God in this world. That's who you were. But now, having been loved by the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now in Christ Jesus, you who once were afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers. You are no longer foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. We are in family together. Praise God. The heart of God the heart of our Lord Jesus Christ is to demonstrate love for the stranger. And that, that instruction is not only isolated to the New Testament. Turn back with me to Deuteronomy chapter 10. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 10 with me. That love is not specific to the New Testament only, not isolated to the New, Te- New Testament only. It is the heart of God, so to speak, to demonstrate love for the stranger. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12. Under the law, now listen. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command you today for your good. This is the true character. This is the character of true spirit-wrought religion. Even under the old covenant, as much as it is under the new covenant, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, to serve him, to obey his commandments, to fear him. Verse 14, indeed, heaven and the highest heavens belong to the Lord your God, you also, Also the earth with all that is in it. The Lord delighted only in your fathers to love them and he chose their descendants after them, you above all peoples as it is to this very day. You are a blessed and privileged people. This is the text that applies to you and I, amen? You are Abraham's seed through faith in Jesus Christ. We've talked about that before. Abraham's seed through faith in Jesus Christ. You are a blessed and privileged people. Therefore, verse 16, circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be stiff-necked no longer. Don't respond with heartless, mindless ritual. Circumcise the foreskin of your heart. This is a heart religion. In consideration of the mercies of God that have been lavished upon you through the gospel of his son, Romans chapter 12, verse one, you are to present yourself as a whole and continual burnt offering on the altar of his praise. That's what the law here under Moses is enjoining us to do. Verse 16, circumcise the foreskin of your heart. Verse 17, because the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. He administers justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the stranger, giving him food and clothing. God's own character, God's own love is set before us as an example. This is the way that you've been loved. Verse 19, therefore, therefore, in consideration of the mercies of God to you, therefore, love the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him, and to him you shall hold fast and take oaths in his name. He is your praise. He is your God who has done for you these great and awesome things which your eyes have seen. He has caused you to be born again. He has caused you. He has brought you to life from the dead. 
forgiven you of all your sins, right? Reconciled you to himself, adopted you into his own household, has made you a son of the kingdom. And we are to love the strangers we've been loved. God loved us when we were aliens and foreigners and strangers. And now we are the people of God. Peter says it this way. You are a chosen generation. Listen to the blessings. You are a privileged people, right? You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, so that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous marvelous light, who were once not a people, you were strangers, but now you are the people of God, who have not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Beloved, verse 11, I beg you then, as sojourners, as pilgrims, as strangers, as it were, in the land of Egypt. There's a sense in which we are exiles. We are in our wilderness testing, our wilderness wandering. We are strangers in a foreign land. Have your conduct, Peter says, honorable among the Gentiles. Show a love for strangers. That's the idea. That's the idea. We don't know. Martin Lloyd-Jones personally. But Lloyd-Jones said this, you and I belong to the same family. I like that thought, belonging to the same family with Martin Lloyd-Jones. Indeed, Jones says, we are more closely related than we are by natural ties because we are members of the family of God. And the moment that you realize that, there is no difficulty about this injunction. When you realize we are, we are both members of the same body, both members of the same family, you have no difficulty with this, with this command of Paul, this exhortation to show love for strangers. We're not strangers, we're in the same family, so to speak, right? If a member of your family, Lloyd-Jones goes on, if a member of your family is in trouble, you are there. Blood is thicker than water, you say. Well, I say the spirit is thicker than blood because he is the Holy Spirit of God. It is inevitable It is inevitable. You see your brother in trouble, you're in it with him. You're in partnership and fellowship with him. Lloyd-Jones says it's an injunction, but it's an injunction that comes out of an established relationship. Understand the relationship and you're going to put the injunction into practice. When you understand the relationship, when that takes root in your mind and in your heart, then you're going to put this kind of love into practice. To give grudgingly, to love little, to isolate yourself from the body, to neglect fellowship. In the words of verse 12, to refuse or to neglect to continue steadfastly for one another in prayer, to fail to serve one another, to lack warmth, (laughs) to lack a kindly, affectionate, a brotherly love, to close up your heart toward your brother in need is to misunderstand the relationship. Is to fail to understand the way that you've been loved. It's a failure to understand the nature of our relationship. Not only your relationship to your brother in the body, but your relationship to the Lord who bought you. Your relationship to the Lord who purchased you with his own blood. Your relationship to God who demonstrated his own love toward you in this, that he did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for you. It's a failure to to embrace through faith the degree to which you've been loved. 
we have to grow in our knowledge of that love. Grow in our understanding of who he is and what he has done for us. We have to grow in our knowledge of him. And the real measure of your comprehension of that love, your, the real measure of your embrace through faith, of your relationship to him through the gospel, is going to be your love for the Lord and your love for his church your love for his people, your love for one another, even your love for strangers. John chapter 13, verse 35, by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. There's an unbreakable connection between those two things. An unbreakable connection between the way in which the Lord Jesus Christ has loved you and your love for the church, your love for one another. It's a connection that is particularly evident in the love that we demonstrate toward strangers, philoxenia, xenia, in the way that we show hospitality. It's evident in our hospitality. Let me give you an example of this. Turn with me to Matthew 25. Matthew 25. This unbreakable connection. In Matthew 25, Beginning in verse 31, the Lord Jesus Christ is speaking of his return in judgment. Verse 31, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Because, verse 35, I was hungry and you gave me food. This is not, these are not works that earn or merit salvation. This is not a salvation by works. This is a salvation that works. This is a salvation that demonstrates itself in these works. Verse 35, I was hungry. Hello, and thanks for listening. My name is Mark Brashear, and I have the blessed privilege of serving with the saints at Cornerstone Church near Orlando, Florida. We're so grateful that you've connected with us through the sermon that you've just heard. For more information, visit us at cornerstoneorlando.org. Or better yet, come and see us on the Lord's Day at 3370 Snow Hill Road in Oviedo, Florida. We're just east of Orlando and about 15 minutes from the campus at UCF. It would be a joy to have you worship with us.